0: I am not about to be the only person who doesn't say happy Mother's Day. All right, so happy Mother's Day to everybody here in the room, everybody watching online, the moms and Giddings at our campus there. Hope you moms have a great day today. I need you up front here again to put on your thinking caps, okay? This is one of those messages where just wait till the end to make any kind of judgment call. I know there are a lot of questions and just different opinions and thoughts about rewards. And so I'm gonna clarify those by the end of the message. So just stay with me. Well, this year marks the 10 year anniversary of my dad going home to be with the Lord. And so recently I found myself thinking fondly of my dad. Like I have some really good memories of him. Yeah, he was all in all a good father. I mean, he traveled a lot and so that was kind of tough on me especially when I was little. Okay? But when he was home, You know, he would always take the time to to play games with me, to help me with my homework, you know, take me to Astros ball games. Basically, yeah, yeah, being a real dad, you know, he wasn't perfect. Okay, my dad said and did some dumb things, like all dads do, that I hated as a kid. But now, kind of as an adult, I, I find them somewhat amusing. For example, my dad loved to smoke a pipe, okay? That was one of his favorite things to do, but he was always managing to misplace his pipe somewhere in the house. And so I had these memories of my dad marching frustrated through the house saying, where's my pipe, where's my pipe? And to this day, my brothers and I, whenever we lose something, we mockingly say, where's my pipe, where's my pipe? You know, when I was little and I would get into mischief, my dad would sometimes say to me, Brian, go find me something to spank you with. Yeah. I wasn't the brightest of kids, but I knew to return with a pillow, Yeah. Three days later. You know, if I was playing outside and and I got hurt and I was crying and I ran inside, I I really wasn't hoping that dad would be there. I was always hoping that mom would be there. Because my dad's default line whenever I was hurting was simply this, shake it off, son. Shake it off. Anybody else have a dad like that? Raise your hands. Come on, guys. Yeah, probably wouldn't say that to your daughter, but... It's like, I'd like to, Dad, but the bone's sticking out. If I shake it, it's like, ah. But, you know, all in all, I mean, my dad, he, he worked hard to provide for our family. And one thing he loved to do is he loved to give gifts to his kids, to his children. And, and one of the gifts that I got as a kid is something I want to focus in on today. It's something I want to talk about because it was a classic in its time, okay? It was a little red wagon, And I know this sounds very, very basic, but this was a really, really cool thing back in its day. A a red wagon, you got to understand, you know, the era that I grew up in. This was the golden age before video games, okay, when kids actually played outside, that was dangerous, okay? This was before moms started mandating helmets for bicyclists and wanting to encase their children in giant cocoons of foam, all right? This was the era where you fell, you got hurt, you cried, you had a little brain trauma, and you just had to shake it off, right? That was the era I grew up in. So raise your hand if you, if you have one of these guys right here. Go ahead and raise your hand up high. Yeah, if you had a red wagon, okay. All right, for those of you who didn't have a red wagon growing up, I got to tell you, I feel sorry for you, okay? <laughs> because this little thing right here, this little guy, and this is not the, it looks like the original, right? This is not actually my original red wagon. But this was a, a really, really cool thing in the state. And all the cool kids had red wagons, all right? <laughs> Every one of them. And what we would do is we would put all of our treasure possessions, right? All the stuff we cherished the most, we would put it in our wagon. And then we just kind of walk through the neighborhood with our wagon looking cool, right? Because that's what cool kids did. Just walking through. If you didn't have a car, that's okay. You've got a wagon. Like it was awesome. Caused a little bit of trouble in high school, right? I couldn't fit in my PE locker, but cool kids, they had a wagon. All right, with that as the backdrop, today I want to talk to you guys about your wagon. And some of you are thinking, Brian, you've fallen off your wagon (laughs) if you think I've got a wagon. Actually, you do have a wagon. It's the perfect metaphor for this message because the wagon that you still pull around in life contains that which is most valuable to you. So I want you to be thinking about what are the contents of my wagon? What in my life is most valuable to me? I mean, this metaphor of a wagon that you pull around in life is really, really important because it actually begins to define you. It becomes a part of your identity. And this concept is not a new concept. This concept has been around for a long, long time. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at an interaction that Jesus had with a guy who came to him pulling his wagon. And I want you to try to find your place in the story to figure out what is in your wagon. Like, what is it in my life that I value more dearly than anything else? Now, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, but this particular story is actually found in three of the four gospels. And over in Matthew, this guy is referred to as being young. And over in Luke, he's referred to as being wealthy. And that's how he got the title, the rich young ruler. See, this guy has what we all want. He's got money and he's got youthfulness and Jesus interacts with him. So let's dive in here. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's pause here. So this guy comes running up to Jesus. Lots of enthusiasm, right? You got to love that. And obviously, this guy knew something about how amazing Jesus was, that Jesus had changed people's lives. And there's something that he's after that he doesn't have. Eternal life. Now, it's very important to recognize that in the Greek, that phrase eternal life speaks of both a quality of life and a quantity of life. This guy wants not just life after death, but rich, abundant, eternal life after death. But he doesn't understand two critical concepts. One, you can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven. And two, only Jesus is good enough to merit eternal life based on his life and deeds. Look at verse 18. This is huge. This kind of sets the framework for this entire story. If you miss this, you miss the story and the meaning. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Hmm. Don't miss that. First, this guy thinks people can be good, and Jesus challenges that. And second, Jesus is probing to see and to help this guy maybe understand who he is, that he is good, but only because he's the son of God. So Jesus needs to bring this guy's concept of goodness down to earth. And what he's going to do is he's going to use the Mosaic law to do it. Over in Galatians 2.16, it says a person is not justified. That word justified means made right with God. A person is not justified by works of the law not going to do it. Good deeds aren't going to do it. What was the purpose of the law? To show us that we don't measure up, to show us that we all fall short. So Jesus, he's setting out to show this guy that he falls short, doesn't measure up. And this is what he says. He says, well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud honor your father and mother. And Jesus stops right there. He doesn't even get to all 10 of the commandments. I don't know why. We can only speculate. You know, maybe this guy cuts them off, right? Been there, done that, Jesus. I'm a Jew, done them all, got them all memorized. Save your words. Stop right there. Just tell me what I need for eternal life. Listen to this guy in verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy basically what he's saying is, hey, I'm perfect. I've kept all these. You know, I like the guy, but he goes from being likable to being self-delusional, right? And yeah, he could be sincere. I really have kept all this stuff. I really have kept every single one of these commandments perfectly all the time. I mean, you can be sincerely self-deluded, all right? I mean, I can stand up here and tell you that I love how long and flowing my hair is and be sincere about it, Right? I can even do the Fabio thing and shake my head, right? You can be sincerely self-delusional. Verse 21, I love this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Stop right there for a second. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. People, no matter your background, no matter where you come from, no matter how righteous or unrighteous or self-deluded you may be, Jesus looks at you with genuine love. That's just who he is. Now check out the whiplash that happens. Jesus looked at him and loved him. (laughs) One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven if you do that. (laughs) Then come follow me. Jesus just cuts right to the chase here. Okay, buddy, if you think you're perfect, go sell it all. Now, folks, this is not an offer to buy eternal life from Jesus. Like, we know better than that. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus is still working on this concept of being good enough. And the whole purpose of the law is to show us that we're not good enough, and that in turn leads us to Christ. Check out Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to do what? To bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Well, this guy, he finally gets the message he's not good enough. Look at verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, in the Greek... That term for face fell, stignosis. It's a word used of the sky becoming overcast in anticipation of a storm. I mean, can you envision the progressive darkening of this guy's face? And Jesus leaves this guy to wrestle with this whole concept of being good enough. You see, no longer could he say all these commandments I've kept since I was a boy. Wrong. He just broke two of them right here. One, he didn't obey God, i.e. Jesus, and two, he failed to love his neighbor, i.e. the poor, as himself. Now, will he eventually concede that he is a sinner in need of a Savior to be good enough for him? We don't know. But there is a lesson in here for us. See, Jesus talks about a way to get treasure in heaven. Go, sell your wagon, and then come, follow me. Jesus is asking for sacrifice here, giving up stuff that is in your wagon. And folks, you can be a Christian without much sacrifice, but you cannot be a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus without sacrifice. And let me just tell you right now up front, sacrifice, it's not a fun topic to teach on, okay? It wasn't then and it isn't now. But sacrifice is a theme that runs all the way through this book right here not to get saved, not to get into heaven. That's a free gift from God based on Jesus's sacrifice. But sacrifice is needed if you want to be a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus. So let's talk about some of the ways that God has asked for sacrifice from his people over the years. And why don't we just go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. You know, men... In order to be a real man of God in the Old Testament, you know what they had to sacrifice starting with Abraham? Men had to sacrifice a part of their manhood to display that they were God's people. Okay, if you want some exciting reading, go read Genesis 17 about circumcision, guys, okay? Yeah, you talk about sacrifice there. I mean, this was the primary relational covenant between God and man. It was highly revered by the Jews. Circumcision was their ID card, okay? Now, how they showed it and when they showed it, I have no idea. I, yeah, probably made for some awkward situations trying to get in a Tel Aviv nightclub. I, I, I don't know, okay? I'm not gonna ask that question. I'm not even gonna look into it. But make no mistake about it circumcision, that's sacrifice, okay? I gotta believe when God first introduced this whole idea to Abraham, he's like, what? Say what? Come again? And Noah gets a rainbow. Like, that's fair. Come on, God, right? I mean, you talk about sacrifice. It's all throughout this book here, starting in the beginning. All right, let's fast forward a couple thousand years to the New Testament era where God moves the cutting north of the belt line. Paul says Christians need a circumcision of their heart. God says, I want to cut the stuff out of your life, Brian, that is keeping you from following me. You know that's what a disciple is, a follower who is being cut into the image of Jesus. So it's less Brian, more Jesus. Less pride, more humility, less self, more service. Sacrifice cuts us into the image of Jesus. But do you know what often gets in the way of us following Jesus? This right here. It's our wagon. See, our wagons can become a source of things that are more important to us than following Jesus. I mean, it's tough to follow Jesus when you're being followed and pulled back by something that's more valuable than him. And that's why I want you to define what is in your wagon. Because if there's stuff in there that Jesus doesn't want in there, it's going to keep you from following him wholeheartedly. And those treasures will replace the treasures that could otherwise be yours in heaven. And that's the lesson for us here as Christians. So next... Jesus gathers his followers, his disciples together. This is verse 23. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And again, don't miss this. Jesus illustrates the impossibility of earning your way into heaven by your own good deeds by taking one of the largest animals in Palestine, right? by using that as an illustration and thinking about that animal trying to fit through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. Why? Well, perhaps because riches can become a source of confidence in and of themselves and a blinder so you don't see your need for Christ. And what's more... Riches in that day were understood to be an indication that you were righteous in God's eyes. That's how they understood wealth in the Jewish culture. And Jesus is saying, "Mm -mm, that's wrong. Well, that's mind-blowing for the disciples, confuses them. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Like in that time and culture, wealth was an indication that you were blessed by God. And so they're thinking, if this rich guy can't get in, we don't have a shot. Like, what kind of kingdom is this? Where even the wealthy can't get in? Do you sense their confusion here? <laughs> and Jesus is leaving that stuff there because he's trying to teach them about grace. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Man cannot possibly be good enough to earn his way into heaven, but God will provide a way. Interestingly enough, that way was standing right in front of them. Jesus would later say, I am the way. I am the way. And later, after the resurrection, they would understand that. But for now, Jesus kind of turns his attention to being a disciple and rewards. Check out verse 28 says, so Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Can you see Peter's confusion here? Like we've, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. I mean, you can just see he, he's mind blown right here. The implication is like, what's the payback going to be? And you got to love Peter's gut level honesty here. I mean, in his mind, he's going, this is a sacrifice following you, Jesus. My parents were so ticked off when I left the family business of fishing. This better lead to something. Because if all this is, is just hanging out with you and and hearing your teachings, which, by the way, great teachings, fabulous, all right? That time when you sent those demons into that herd of pigs, amazing. That was my favorite bit so far, okay? You're a great teacher. But there's got to be something more to this. Like, this is not a good career move for me, to just be hanging out and following and listening. Hey, what's it going to be like at my 25-year reunion? (laughs) I mean, I am so conflicted right now, Jesus. If I could turn water into wine, I'd be drinking, okay? Like Peter, he's struggling here big time. Are you ready for Jesus's answer? Look at verse 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. And I want you to circle the next four words. In this present age. We're going to have to talk about that one, aren't we? In this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. By the way, this isn't going to be easy follow plus sacrifice, and in the age to come, eternal, meaning both abundant and everlasting life. Jesus says, if you put the old behind you, I can give you a richness of life that money and possessions can't even touch. I can give you a hundred times more blessed life, and that's something money can't even hold a candle to. And for those of you who aren't big into math, let me just point out it's, it's 100 times, not 100% return. You know the difference? If I sacrifice a dollar bill, okay, and I get 100% return, I get two bucks back. Not bad. Like I doubled my money. If I give up a dollar bill and get what Jesus promises, well, then I'm gonna get like the equivalent of 100 buckaroos coming back. That's phenomenal. And you wanna know the secret of this hundred times blessing that Jesus promises? The secret's right here. Comes back to that word sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is the secret to this hundred times living that, by the way, is available in this present age. And here's why I want people to get this so, so badly. Because I talk to people all the time, Christians, and their attitude is like, you know, following Jesus, being a disciple, man, that's tough, Obedience is a drag. It's like, it's like circumcision, and, you know, sure, I've got my, my heaven card, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, I've got my heaven card, and I'm just going to kind of hold out till I get to heaven. And that's basically it. Now why do people say that? I think it's because they don't understand that there're going to be different levels of reward in heaven based on how we live our lives here on Earth. And they also don't understand that this rich, abundant kingdom living, it starts right here, right? now. The rewards even start right now. Let me illustrate this for you. Raise your hand here if you've been to Disneyland before. Raise your hand up high. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. We got a picture. Good. All right. A number of you have. You know, when when you get your ticket and you're admitted and you walk into the entrance of that park, that entrance is beautiful, right? Right? I mean, the landscaping is stunning. You can see the the railroads over there. There's a bit of a wow factor when you first come in and you've got the characters coming up to you. You've got Aladdin and Buzz Lightyear and Goofy, right? And and you're in, you've got some of that excitement, that adrenaline's pumping. You're thinking, man, I'm in Disneyland and I can get a Mickey hat over there. I can get some sour candy over here and photobomb the tourists taking pictures over there. Like it's exciting, right? You're in, you're in. But imagine if every time you go to Disneyland, say you live out there, you got a season pass, you go every day. But every time you go to Disneyland, you just stay in that entrance area right there. Are you tracking with me? (laughs) You know, there's a bit of a wow factor that's there. But if all you ever did was stay at that entrance, eventually that passion would fade. Wouldn't be as fascinating as everybody's talking about (laughs) when they talk about Disneyland. But imagine if one day someone looks over at you and notices you've just been standing there and with genuine love walks over to you and says, hey, hey, fo- follow me. Tr- trust me. Follow me. And then he takes you by the hand through one of the side entrances through those tunnels just a few feet, and all of a sudden, bam, Main Street, right? You're in, and you begin to experience that you get lost in that, that joy, the adventure of the magical kingdom. And there are rides and thrills and excitement. It seems like everywhere you go, everything you see, there's just more and more and more. And then you realize, man, I spent so much time just stuck back there at the entrance and I was just a few steps away from this abundant kingdom. You see where I'm going with this, right? A lot of Christians, they live their life that way. They make the whole Christian experience just about getting eternal life, getting in, getting into heaven, and then they stop right there. Why? Because they don't understand. It's not gonna be all the same level of kind of rewards. Everything's not gonna just be all equal in heaven one day. And so they have no motivation. They don't strive to store up treasures for themselves in heaven as Jesus suggested. No, wait, as Jesus commanded. Think about that. Jesus commands you, store up treasures. You, store up treasures, store up treasures, store up treasures. Now let me address a side issue here because I know every once in a while someone will say, well, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to serve God out of love and gratitude for what he's done for us and not the rewards he offers us? Like Brian, should my motivation be love or rewards? Yes. Yeah, according to the Bible, the answer is yes to both. Starts with God and then it's rewards as well. If you missed the first message, you really need to go back to that message because I said this, lasting joy and pleasure is found only in God not from God, but in God. People, God is the end of our search for pleasure, not the means to some other end. If we try to use God like a holy bending machine to get stuff that'll please us, it won't work because that which ultimately fills the longing in our heart is none other than God himself. Like our exceeding joy is the Lord, not the streets of gold, not the reunion with relatives, nor any other blessing in heaven. I mean, those things are all good, but they're just icing on the cake. Psalm 37.4 says it perfectly. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. First, you delight yourself in the Lord, and then he blesses you with the desires of your heart. And actually the rewards are all linked to God. It's all one. You won't enjoy those rewards apart from his presence, apart from him. But let's come back to this passage because as we read, the joys of kingdom living are available today. And we need to talk about that. First of all, they're available today, but only to those who sacrifice and follow Jesus, not lead Jesus, follow Jesus. See, there's a big difference between following Jesus and leading Jesus. Like plenty of Christians say, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. But honestly, what they're really doing is they're trying to lead Jesus to their plans, right? Their desire, their agenda. And they're like, God, please bless me in my life. In fact, why don't you just get into my wagon here with all the other stuff I love? My job, my hobbies, my kids, my my new car, my home, my favorite sports team, my favorite show. Why don't you just become one of the many things I love, Jesus? And I'll tell people that I'm a Christian, like Jesus is there and you can sprinkle your blessings as I lead you through my life, okay? And and God, I promise I'll I'll even go to church, and not just any church, I'll go to Hill Country Bible Church. Yeah, Yeah. sound good, Jesus? What do you you think? (sighs) Yeah, I'm glad you're chuckling at that. (laughs) Honestly, that that describes a lot of Christians. And and then when things don't work out, you know what they do? They come to me and say, Brian, I tried that, that didn't work. Yeah, right, you, you tried that. You tried that kind of Christian living, not the Jesus life, not following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, not lead me. Follow me. And follow plus sacrifice equals blessings, rewards. So let's talk a little bit about what this looks like because I said earlier, it's not all the time what we think, especially the rewards here, right? Well, let's say... That I start to follow God, and, and Jesus says to me, Brian, I want you to love your enemies. <sighs> I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to love people who hate me. But I sacrifice, and I follow Jesus's way, and I learn to love my enemies. And then Jesus accepts that sacrifice. And you know what He does? He starts to circumcise my heart. He cuts me a little more into His image, which means I experience what's called the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> What do I get in life? Well, I get the rewards of love, joy, peace. Those are good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I get rewards as he carves me into his image. And then I continue to follow, and God says, you know, Brian, I want you to forgive those who hurt you. Well, I don't want to do that. I'd rather get them back, right? But I sacrifice and I follow Jesus' way of forgiveness. And guess what happens? I get that 100-time reward. How? Well, immediately I figure out I was the one in chains. I was the one being held in bondage. But now that I've forgiven, I've been set free. Plus, I'm storing up treasures in heaven. Remember, it's not just here. Physical blessings, emotional blessings, spiritual blessings, psychological blessings, whatever kind of blessings God may give you here, but it's also rich, abundant life in the future, one day in heaven. Jesus loves to reward those who sacrifice for his sake. So here's a big question for you. I want you to ask this, what is in your wagon? What is in your wagon that you need to sacrifice? You know, maybe you need to sacrifice a relationship that's getting in the way of following Jesus. And Jesus might meet that sacrifice with a 100 meaningful, enriching conversations or maybe a depth of friendship you've never had before. Maybe your career is more important than Jesus. And you need to sacrifice that illusion of success that's propping up your image and trust Jesus to provide for you. Maybe it's an addiction that's keeping you from following Jesus. And you need to sacrifice your ego and invite someone in to help you walk away from that, to get healing. And Jesus might meet that sacrifice with a hundred great habits that'll enrich your life. So I want to challenge you before we go here to do something so you'll remember this all week. When you came in or should have been handed out to you, you should have got one of these cards. If not, you can get one on the way out. It says a hundred times on it, okay? I want you to take this hundred times card, hundred times rewards, and put it someplace where you will see it every day. Prominent. Just as kind of a trigger for you, okay, that follow plus sacrifice equals a hundred times blessing from God. And I don't care where you put it. You can put it on the dashboard of your car. Okay, put it by your toothbrush so you see it when you brush your teeth in the morning, which hopefully you all do, okay? Right? Uh, You know, whatever. If you're going to get a tattoo, maybe get a hundred times tattoo, okay? Send me a picture. That'd be great. I'd love to see that you got a dog, shave it in the side of your dog. Any, I don't care, okay? <laughs> Just some place, some place that will remind you that it's best to live for Jesus and his blessings, his rewards. See, friends, you don't have to walk out of here today with your face sunken, your face drooping. Kingdom living is available right now with a hundred times blessings on this side of eternity and on the other side of eternity you can be blessed. That same voice, those same loving eyes look to you and say, park your wagon and come follow me. Can you see that happening in your life? Like, are you ready to move past the entrance and walk further with Jesus? I can see it happening. And I want it for my life and I want it for your life. So let's pray for that together right now. Lord, there's a lot here. There's a lot to process. A lot in this passage, a lot in your word, a lot that we misunderstand. But God, you are so, so clear that you want us to store up our treasures in heaven so that our heart will be focused where our treasure is, and ultimately to treasure you, to delight in you, and then let you give us the desires of our heart. God, you want what's best for us because you love us. And so I just pray that this week we would take some time to think about what is it, what is it that's in our wagon that's bogging us down? Lord, help us to identify that because we don't want to be slowed down. We want our focus to be completely on you. We don't want to be held back by stuff that's keeping us from the abundant life, the rich life you have from us, for, for, for the blessings that you have For us here, right now. The best life possible is available the moment we put our faith in you. Eternal life begins now and then continues for all eternity. And God, we can't even fathom, as Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what you have stored up for us in heaven, the blessings, the treasures. But God, help us by faith to live for those and not for the stuff of this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.